Among all the podcasts you could listen to, here you are with Talk About That. Oh, man. We appreciate it. We're grateful. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, (laughs) we're here. You know, it's like, I don't know. There there are a lot. Yeah. Like, at this point, if you don't have a podcast, what's wrong with you? Right. Like, everyone should be Get your confidence together. Yeah. Everything. You should be saying whatever you're thinking into a microphone. Yeah, and that's why we're inviting you. For a mere $10,000, you can be a part of the Talk About That Podcast Network. Oh, right. It's like a startup fee. Well, yeah. And then you get people under you. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. (laughs) I could barely get the one we have (laughs) uploaded. Yeah. You do a lot of work. Huh? You do a lot of work on this. I just show up. That's not true. You write the descriptions. And by the way, listener, if you have a, if you don't read the descriptions every time, they're hilarious. Like uh, you, you do such a great job at that. They're descriptive. I'll they give are you that. descriptive. The not sponsored by are funny every time. So it's good. I learned about something uh, yesterday. You ever hear about a product and you wish you could not know it exists? Like you're like, I don't want, not only do I not want it, I don't want it to exist. <laughs> it was... It sounds like something made up because I thought I saw it. I thought, is this a Saturday Night Live sketch? Uh, people are doing what's called mouth taping now. Have you seen mouth tape? No. Okay. So it's what it sounds like. In my day, that meant taping someone up and throwing the back of a car. No, this is oh. this is you do it to yourself. Okay. It's these. Uh, they look almost clear, but you purse your lips, you tape your mouth up before you go to bed at night, so that it forces you to breathe through your nose. So it's like a it's like a two way thing. Evidently, it it stops snore. It's supposed to stop you from snoring. Yeah. And evidently, it is the number one cause of cavities and gum disease. Mouth breathing while you sleep. Huh. Because you're taking in all. Evidently, it dries you out or whatever. It just it's not good. You're supposed to be breathing through your nose. Yeah. And then out your mouth. So all that said, mouth mouth tape is a thing. And uh, but here's the deal, I get really stuffed up. Mm-hmm. When I lay down mm-hmm. at night, especially allergy season. So it's just, you're going to die. You're <laughs> you're taping your mouth up and being like, we'll wake up with the Lord. <laughs> it's not a... Is it a special kind of tape? Like, it, evidently, it's special in that it doesn't like tear lip skin off when you... Well, then how can it be effective if it doesn't stick? I don't know. I it just... I have a lot of questions. I do too. Yeah. I saw the commercial and I was like, this can't be real. And then I then I looked it up. Yeah, it's kind of clear. It almost looks like those... Um, Crest white strips that you fold over your yeah. teeth. It looks kind of like that material, like a plasticky but clear. See, I wouldn't want it to be vinyl. Clear. They're missing an advertising opportunity. Oh, we should have messages. Like, yeah, you should be able to, you know, <laughs> don't approach sleeping or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, I, better messages than that. I breathe through my nose, yeah. but I, but just true. If I could keep my mouth shut, that'd be great because I. Do I wake snore. up sometimes after I've slept five or six hours, and my mouth is so like dry yeah. and just like and i know that i've been mouth breathing the whole time wow so it's bad so you'd say you're a mouth breather i would say i'm a <laughs> mouth breathing troglodyte i uh yeah i'm a mouth breather wow. but i think i think it's because i'm stuffed up like do you ever roll over on the other side to get the sinuses to settle to the other side do you ever do that move yeah but like you're stuffed up on one side and you go let me roll over here for a second let this do <laughs> it just kind of makes a you feel it change? Well, you know, I get that post-nasal drip that I've had since college when I yeah. lay down. And so I now use two nasal sprays in the morning and at night. Yeah. And my wife laughs at me because, like, my daughter uses it 
like the Flonase, and she's like a... Like, she's not actually sucking anything up in there, oh, you know? right. And so, like, for me... You got to own it. Dude, I... So, I blow my nose first, and then it's like a whole thing. She's like, do we have to have this huge production what for about you to take the these flonase, nasal Or what about the neti pots? Are you a neti pot person? I could never get the gravitational flow of that to work properly. Well, I've got a product for you. Have you seen this? There's one called... Uh, what's it called? Nasacort. Not Nasacort. Something. Nasanex. It's a, it's a neti pot with suction. Yeah, I've seen so this. You hook the it up to your nostrils. It just kind of does a thing. I would do that. It's like a forced vacuum for your. But the the nasal sprays really do work for me. Except I'm now snoring. Of course, I have gained twenty pounds. So yeah, that'll all go away if you lose the weight. I need. To, I'm, I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying. You got this, John. I'm trying. Believe in um, yourself. But yeah, people are taping up their mouths. If yeah. you go mouth tape and nose clip, it's over. Like you just. <laughs> You're just worth <laughs> clogging up the whole thing. Do you use the little nasal strips that go on the top of your nose that help to expand it and keep it open? No. What I've tried that. Of, they didn't work. I forgot what those are called. Uh, breathe Right. Yeah, Breathe Right. I did Breathe Right. And it was Breathe Wrong. It was, you know what I'm saying? It was. Am I right? Yeah, I tried it, and it did not stop my snoring. That was the only reason I was doing it, to stop the snoring. Yeah. And uh, no. We're losing weight stopped my snoring. I don't snore anymore. Wow. Yeah. Like the first thirty pounds I lost, uh, the storing stopped and it never came back. Wow. I have to be like in a very like if I'm super tired and exhausted, yeah. I'll have a slight snore. Curry says sometimes, but it's not like it was where it's just like Katie bar the door. Yeah, yeah. I used to be on road trips with you and Andrew and Roy in oh, yeah. one room. Oh yeah, you were the you were the three biggest snores that I that I've ever Which met. Which is funny. Andrew's one hundred twenty pounds. Yeah, but he's just yeah. It's just whatever. Yeah. And Roy, I always think of snoring. I think of like a big dude. So I saw him. Well, see, I snore. It, like it depends on the atmosphere. If it's super like dry, or like there's other there's things that affect my. Snoring. Andrew has the uvula of a fat person. <laughs> he's got a. He's tiny, but his his uvula <laughs> is very is bloated. Enormous. Yeah. It's a bloated uvula. See, I always want that snoring spray that you spray in the back, and it's supposed to like settle your uvula. Does it? I, I think I've seen like this a on a commercial shrinkage? or something. Like, it keeps it from, I don't know what it does. Stops it from being so reactive. Flappy. Guys, do you suffer from reactive uvula? Uvula? <laughs> call our, call our toll-free number. If your uvula has been injured. <laughs> you are entitled to You're entitled to compensation. To compensation. <laughs> Anytime I see a billboard that says you deserve to be paid, it yeah. really messes with my theological stance on things. Right. I'm just like maybe the we person believe in like this. a fallen nature, true, right. like the total depravity, whatever you wherever I'm like, you fall. I'm not on that sure scale. I deserve anything. Right? If I get but, what I deserve, I don't. Right? I'm be paying a settlement. <laughs> then I have friends who who really do deserve it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's for them. It is. But everyone driving by, a lot of them go, you know what? I do deserve to get. They haven't had a wreck. Like, right. I do deserve to get paid. Yeah. It's like, I don't... I it's very don't. easy to make people... Yeah, it's very easy to win people over being like, you're not getting what you're owed. Yeah. Whatever like, that is. It's true, guys. I don't want to get what I'm owed. It's so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless it's money. Sure. Which is their point. All right, so yeah. here's a news story that I just read while we were waiting for you to get the podcast gear together. Our podcast gear was messing up again because mm. of John. So, a bride collapsed. This is this isn't mainstream news. This is off my Facebook feed. A bride collapsed and died at her wedding. The groom then married the woman's sister with her dead body lying in the next room. No. And I okay, read wait, for, wait, wait, wait. Is this a Facebook or a real news story? This is a real news story from... Uh, oh, dear. Uh, 
from uh, he's from the AFC NAP story. Eagle.patriot.edu. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, a wedding took a morbid turn when the bride, this is in India. This this kind of sort of makes sense because it probably was an arranged marriage maybe. Okay. A wedding took a morbid turn when the bride collapsed and died during the ceremonial ritual. It's horrible. The families agreed the man would marry the, sis- the woman's younger sister instead per multiple reports. Their nuptials took place with the dead woman's body lying in the next room. And it says a wedding in India, and it has more descriptions of it. But May 27th, it happened in Samaspur in the north Indian state of Uttar Pradesh. Wow. And it is a story per the Times of India. So, yeah. So, uh, so I guess it was an arrangement. Yeah, they were exchanging traditional flower garlands. When the woman collapsed on stage, a doctor rushed to treat her, but later declared that she died from a heart attack. The day's festivities continued, however, but with a different bride. While the woman's body lay in another room in the house, the nuptials carried on with her younger sister, Nisha, replacing her. We did not know what to do in the situation. Both the families sat together, and someone suggested that my younger sister, Nisha, should be married to the groom. Serbi's brother, Surab, told local news channel TV9. It was a tough call for our family, he said. Wow. This is really bizarre. This is bizarre. And again, I don't know enough about Indian culture to know. Now, I do know. Well, it seems like it's odd even for them, though. If they're yeah, like, that's, that's what I'm curious. Like, yeah. is there, since it's arranged, is there like a, um, again, I know this, I don't know. Is there like a, an expectation that there right. has, to be, a, has to be a wedding that we, day? We booked the room, and so. Now, I do gotta, know how, how expensive weddings can be. Yeah. So maybe they had dropped like 200 grand. They're like, look. Is there still like a dowry or anything? I, I don't, don't know. know. We're just totally. Sorry, guys. I don't, I'm not. Johnny threw this story at this me. This is crazy. Well, a... it reminded me of a Seinfeld bit uh, about how men all dress the same at at, the, at a wedding, and it's because men are completely unreliable. And so if the groom doesn't show up, they can just all take one step to the left, <laughs> and then she just marries the next guy in the row. And it's why the vows don't say, do you take Bob Johnson? It says, do you, do take, you take this, this man? <laughs> That's such a great bit, but uh, it really happened. Oh wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. yeah, yeah I don't and, know. And tragic too. Well, I feel you, horrible for the. I mean, it's awful. Yeah, it is. It's weird. And then the sis, what does the sister think of all this? Is she just like, well, I took one for the team, or do I? Does she feel like, hey, I kind of like this guy. This is my moment. Or I don't know. This is very Jacob, strange, Rachel, and Leah. You know, it does. It's very, it feels weird. Yeah, and it feels like anything we say about it is going to be us like coming across as culturally insensitive. Yeah, I don't know. Because uh, it's really weird to me. How about this? It is very counter to our culture, so we just don't have an understanding of theirs on yeah. this. And like you said, I'd be here's what I'd be curious to know. Is this odd for their culture? It seems like It'd in the story that it's even odd for them. Okay. Because it said the family like languished over the decision for all of however long. <laughs> it may have been something in their culture that that was an honor to the sister, you know, because now. I oh, right. Know, so I don't okay. know. Yeah, man. That's... You know, it, it, when I study history, mm-hmm. it's very common. Like I told you about, I studied in some of my genealogy that there was. Which is a, the study of genies. <laughs> right. I found out. A lot of lamps. That and... I had a, a, I mean, in like DeKalb County, Tennessee, there was some distant relative who had. 12 children. Yeah. And only one of them survived into adulthood. Man. Like 11 children died in infancy or in childhood. And you just go, oh my. Like, again, I'm just looking at the raw, you know, like data of it in this sort of family tree. I'm not, 
like reading the story of it, just mm-hmm. seeing that that happened and knowing there is a story. <laughs> right. Uh, and it wasn't uncommon, though, when you look at that for children to die in infancy, but that they would name then the next baby that came the name of the child who had died, which I think in modern culture would be super you know, morbid to a lot right, of Right, because we're like individualistic. This is a whole other thing. But they're like saying they were doing it like to honor. Right. There was no doubt that it was an honoring of. Like we would do a family name, but it would be like your Uncle Gus. You're named after your Uncle Gus. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Or Are like you, you named family, after your Uncle Gus? I am. Uh, this is <laughs> Johnny <my>, Gus. <laughs> call me Gus W. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting, though, how how the honoring. And I think the, I think we do have a death averse culture in modern times, yeah. And that's very difficult for us to process um, what other cultures mourn. Like we were watching a show called Jamestown on Prime Video, mm-hmm. and it ended abruptly. By the way, with three seasons, like it it ended. It just didn't was, get re-upped, and so they had to like. I guess cliffhanger. It did they cliffhanger? Or it was they put a little a bit. Oh, it? it was a cliffhanger. Oh wow! And then, okay. But then they like put text on the screen like this happened in sixteen nineteen and blah. They kind of like ended it with the texting instead yeah. of with another season. It was a really good show too. Um, so I mean, it's a drama set in a historical period, so it had you know a little bit of both. But um, so in the show, like one of the settlers marries uh, one of the Native American. Uh, ladies, <laughs> so I'm trying to think. She was the daughter of someone, and they're like, you know, that's that's yeah. a way that there is peace between you know everybody, and then that was very common. And so they have a baby, and then the baby passes away of a fever, and he goes. She's like, you know, we must take the baby back to my village and my people, and like watching the way the English mourn, and he's super torn and broken and upset about it. But when they go into the Indian village, like, there's just this wailing. They have painted their bodies black. Yeah. And there's, like, six women around the mother wailing as hard as she is. And there's something in in other cultures that we really miss a lot in Western culture. Yeah. Even in Jewish culture, if you go back and look at, at Lazarus's death, when Jesus comes in, there are mourners there with Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. And it was a part of it that could be paid mourners. Like it was a, a thing that these people existed or their job was to help mourn with you. So they felt this pain. And Laura and I were just commenting on like the way other cultures do a great job of, of sharing. So I mean, like she is just gut wrenching expressing this and she's not doing it alone. Others are gut wrenched with her. And that's the time to do that. And I think in our culture, we struggle to know when the time to we almost feel ashamed when we do that, the time to let all of that, you know, come out. Yeah. And we kind of glorify holding it all together and being yeah. strong and um, oh, yeah. that, you know, that means you're tough and you, yeah, you repress it. Then you take it out on your, the rest of your family later on, small incremental doses. Right. You don't know where it comes from and things. Yeah. 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 It's very, very interesting, but well, yeah, we kind of, that's the whole thing too. That's the progress of, of, of what we do is we, you know, you're you want the next generation to not have as much inconvenience or pain, and so over the course of generation after generation, you just have less uh, chance of dying young and less chance of uh, even. I mean, you have people who don't even never had to like work hard, right? You know, I make my money from dumb thoughts I come up with. Like that's something that probably would be super foreign to just like a generation before me. Yeah. 
that I don't work with my hands, you know? Yeah. Uh, that I didn't have the chance to do it. Like, it'd be a very outlier. There, was, there were comedians, but I'm saying, like, if I was to say in the 1950s or 1960s, I think I'm going to go be a stand-up comedian. Like, you could get kicked out of your family. Yeah. You know, like, what? What are you, stupid? Like, now it's just like creativity is more, you know, it's more embraced as a thing. But more than that, it's like, yeah, so we, we've worked our – like there was a community to do a bit about that, about how like you, my parents worked hard so that I could have all the things that they didn't have. And it worked. And we're the worst. Like it's <laughs> this, this idea of like the unintended consequences of that. Yeah. You, you, you gave them this bubble to live in where they're protected from things. Good things like smallpox or whatever, but also things that they might need, like some pain and trauma to cause you to grow. That was taken away, too. So then you have a lot of like a spoiled mentality to some people. Not everybody's that way. That's a very broad brush. But there is something to that where, like you say, we work out. We worked some of the things out of our culture that cause us pain. But there's something that we're leaving behind, too. Yeah, and, and as a parent, I have no idea. We 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 look at that reality almost every day, and I always say, you know, at, at age eleven, I was weed eating for my yeah. dad and working hard days. I don't have an equivalent experience for my twelve year old daughter. Yeah. Um, I don't own a commercial lawn care business. I don't. I mean, so I can give her chores and those right. kinds of things. But work ethic was instilled in me. Yeah, and I do. I feel like this scarcity as a father. I don't know how to instill it. In a way that wouldn't be almost cruel, like now get out in the yard and, you know, like it, it's there's not really a job to be done <laughs> mm. on that level. And then she, you know, she's going to get a job when it's time at 16 or whatever. And we talk about those things and she's she's volunteering in our coffee shop, you know, and so others besides uh, she's taking orders from people besides us. You know, she's yeah. literally serving, taking orders, literally taking orders and making drinks and all those things. So, I mean, but you don't know, you really don't know where the line is of how much discomfort to allow i see some parents and again i I think we all look at other people and assume what they do is working better than what you do yeah but you're seeing like yeah you're seeing the highlight reel or whatever that's the whole and kids are made like kids and adults every human's made so differently Mm -hmm. so it doesn't even mean that what what i'm doing with mine would work with theirs or vice versa you know there has to be that understanding of uniqueness um but you do i look at them and go wow well they they managed to you know they're tougher on this, you know, and it's like, I, I found myself being tough on the non-negotiables for me are when I, when I see you walking, when I see, uh, in our family, like, Hey, if we make this mistake with our tone or our attitude, if we have like this, this hard moment or this hard face, you know, we make, we make that right. We don't let it lie. We make it right. So if I have a non-negotiable, it's more, I think on attitude and communication than it is on, on, Hey, make sure you, you know, Yes, you're going to clean your room, but I'm less likely if that doesn't happen, <clears throat> you know, hey, just go clean your room as opposed to making this moment out of it. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know where the lines are. I feel like, but yeah, I'm not training her, though, to change the oil in the car. I mean, I could change oil at 12. You does, know what I'm saying? Sadie you know how to change a tire, John? Well, I did stop and change a tire in Atlanta for someone of the day, but mm-hmm. she walked ahead because it was hot with her mom, and they went ahead and got the car ready for us to leave because it was on the way to the hotel. It's a teachable moment. It was, but you know what's so funny? But we were in a busy street. They were pulled over literally on a sidewalk in downtown Atlanta, yeah. and I can tell a guy had thrown his back out, and he had his granddaughter. They were coming from the same tournament. There's 25,000 people there. 
And his wife was like, hey, y'all okay? He's like, my back. I just, I, I walked up. That guy's back's out. I can tell. That's why he, yeah. he and, and, and the granddaughter was doing it. I was like, I'm happy to jump in. But my first thought as a six, by the way, is this is not safe. Yeah. <laughs> like we're too close to the street. Well, and there's always AAA, you know, you can to call for auto the auto club service yeah, to come but change I can tire. help get them out of so I was like hey no, I'm saying but for Sadie like you can train her to like keep your no I want her to know yeah. I want to teach her how to change a tire for sure um but right then wasn't the time I need to get her off well, of the she's busy not even Atlanta street yet, but yeah. yeah yeah Sadie if you're listening uh, we want <laughs> there's a lot coming for you no I I think that's a great skill I mean that's just Change a tire and learn how to check her own oil. You That's know. big, yeah. Just being, you know, and I mean, we learned to check our oil because our cars were terrible, constantly leaking oil. Yeah, like you, I checked it every time I filled it up. Have you? Oh, did you really? I had every a car like that. Every time I filled that. up my car with gas, you checked the oil too because it was usually a quart low. Yeah, my Sundance would do that. I, I, you've then had cars before that you never changed the oil because it was constantly being changed. Yeah, by it's the fact being it's leaking. yeah, it just yeah. flows through. It's like a sieve. Yeah, besides the filter. And really, at that point, if your car's leaking like that, are you really that worried about the oil filter? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. I've had cars, I don't know if I told you this before, I've had cars <laughs> where I didn't want to fill the tank all the way up because I didn't know if it would make it to the end of that tank. <laughs> like, if you put $40 a gas. I don't want to put any more money into this car. Right, you put $40 <laughs> a gas and it breaks down at $20, you know, you're like, you feel ripped off. So I just go 20 at a time. So we have a 2004 Johnny, yeah, 2004 GMC. Oh, how do you live? Yukon Denali, <clears throat> and it was my dad's car. Yeah, and it needed a lot of work, and we were gonna. Mom was gonna trade it. She was like, "Well, you can have it if you want it." She was getting another car, and I did because we had before that a 2002. So we like Yukons, and I took that, and I have I have sunk money. Like I'm. This is confession. Like Laura, mm-hmm. right now, as she's listening, you know, her knuckles are beginning to whiten. You know, because we have mixed emotions about this car. It's so comfortable. It's a Denali. Right. So and, you know, I have a car payment, so that's good. I don't have a car payment. Like, I had it painted. Like, I did all kinds of stuff because it, it has some, you know, chipping paint and things. Like, I want it to look. It looks not. It looks really sharp. I mean, it's it's yeah. almost 20 years old, but it looks super sharp. Leather, heated seats. I actually had the heated seat, the heaters um, replaced because they didn't work. And I did. I put money in. Instead of buying a car, I put money into it. But I can never get there with it like i can't i can't there's always something yeah and it and, it, and now it, it and maybe this is just like that a compulsive part of me that wants everything that I, if i put this much energy into something yeah. i want it to be right so it's like i'm at 95 percent all the time and then you know the actuator won't work right, right? so i have to you know, so I don't know what an actuator is. That's where, oh, that's where the, the switches vents. from. Yeah, switches yeah. from heat to, to cool. Okay, I was so like, I, I don't have one of those. So I put a new actuator in, <laughs> which costs some money. Yeah, and then still sometimes it gets stuck. So I have to pull over. I know this mm-hmm. to pull over, turn the car, put it in park, turn the car off and back on, and it like resets the actuator. Oh wow! But when I have to do that, I feel like a fool. Like I'm going, what are you doing right. now? I live my whole life doing stuff like that with old cars. Yeah. I just don't want to do it now. And then I think we'll have it become a snob. And then I think a snob, your car is 16 years old. Right. You should, the working actuators should, that's okay yeah. to want that. I don't know if it is or not. I mean, somewhere in another part of the world, someone's going, that'd be a great, and it is. It's a I, great I, car. It, I didn't even know what an actuator was until you told me. Uh, <laughs> so I think you're a snob for sure. There's other stuff that happens too. <clears throat> and I just go, every time it happens, like the back right 
is it the back? Okay, the the the, the passenger side door locks won't unlock the whole car. The automatic unlock. Mm. My side will, not hers. It's so like a so, child safety thing. I don't, maybe? No, it's just it's just a defect. So every once in a while, she'll need to unlock the whole car to let Sadie out. She's like, we just look at each other again, white knuckles. You're like, ah, just these tedious little yeah. little things, you know. And and so I'm you just need, you need to get rid of this car. It's got demons. See, but you just got a new car. <laughs> this is why you're saying that. Like you, and, and and it's nice, and you drive a lot. I do. I really like your car. It has all those so fancy safety features. It does. It'll drive itself, won't it? On the basically, interstate? yeah. It, you can take your hands off the wheel and set See, the smart cruise, and you just yeah, you do it now. Yeah. But then you hit guardrails and such, and possums. It's a bumper car. It's what I have. I put a big bumper, but you have this nice, and it's and yeah. it gets great gas mileage. What like sixty five? No, not sixty five. It gets like fifty five. Oh, are you acting like no, not that? You literally just threw out an astronomical. My car is getting. Yeah, I don't think anything. It's sixty five. My car is getting like twelve. Yeah, thirteen maybe. So. Right. I don't know, Johnny. That's a lot. I don't know. And gas is going going up a little bit. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, bro. That's usually the big test, right? July 4th weekend, Memorial Day weekend. That's the, yeah. the big drive times. Well, Thanksgiving, they have, oof. They have the whole ransomware on the pipeline thing. Well, so. no, no, no I, there's reasons. I, I, believe, I don't blame the president. I didn't blame Trump when they went. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. I, yeah, think I it's, always believe the It's other. supply and demand. If you really believe in capitalism, we had COVID where nobody drove. The prices tank. Then everybody started driving again. Yeah. It skyrockets back up. Yeah, the pipeline issue. I mean, it's 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 a whole thing. There's yeah. a lot of factors. Yeah, I agree with you. But Democratic and Republican presidents, gas prices. Well, they all take credit down. for it, and they all right. take the blame too. It's like you can't. Yeah, there's, I don't think there's they're, a lot set, of they're not the saying the price of gas. Like Economists says. will tell you, like people that study this stuff for a living will tell you, yeah. presidents aren't to blame. So, Johnny, we can't freak out and get upset then the president if you do that. So I don't over that. Right, I just... Yeah. I don't even know what we're supposed to do with ourselves. I know, so. if you can't blame the president for natural disasters either. The president just does not... Here's the thing What I've been saying. I want a president that very rarely affects my life. Yeah, that'd like, be good. Just because he's doing his job. i got to go to work today. That used to be like a hallmark of conservatism. Yeah. Is like small government, meaning like you just go on and I don't need to know what you're doing because you're not doing any major things. And now somehow it became like both parties just enact sweeping legislation yeah. for their side, air quotes on their side, and we're supposed to like rah-rah them. And I'm like, this is not what you signed up for if you really grew up a conservative. You wanted like stay yeah. out of my way. Yeah, you wanted to – yeah. I mean – And I don't even know how I feel about that anymore. I really feel like the government should be a better referee. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm free market capitalist with a referee. Yeah. Like stop companies from – you know, pillaging the environment and, you know, uh, and taking advantage of their employees and right. et cetera, and taking advantage of just like the system for themselves and giving like where Amazon doesn't pay any taxes. And you're like, how is that possible? Yeah. Oh, we technically didn't make any money. You're like, I don't know if I believe that uh, since yeah. I had 65 orders last year. <laughs> I think you did okay. You made some money. But like, there's a lot of gaming the system. So I believe in like a better referee. But I mean, if you're going to say I'm a libertarian or a conservative, like you're supposed to not be excited. If some huge sweeping legislation gets passed just because it's got an R in front of their name, like, well, it's okay, though. One of our guys is spending all of our money. Like, either one should offend you. But No, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, I I want to, you know, the people in my church, they, I, I think that what they would want out of me is that when they come here on Sunday, that I just did my job that week. Yeah. I wasn't like every day they had to get a new email update. About right. some way, we're not sure what John's going to do about the light bill or whatever. Yeah. John's, well, what are we going to like? 
I'm going to prepare. I don't have a lot to do with the light bill. I think you, by the way, I think you should give updates on how the sermon prep is going. <laughs> Almost got it, guys. I'm on the third point. Hey guys, uh, how many of you guys? How do you feel about? Yeah, I should it's do going it. to be a good one. I should, I should go live all the time. Like, and guys, you, then right you now. ballpark it, and then like, here's the other thing you could do. This would keep the audience engaged too. Remember when you used to go to Lens Crafters, and they would say your glasses are going to be done in under an hour. Uh-huh. That was their big marketing thing. Domino's Pizza was like, we're going to eat your pizza to you in 30 minutes or less or it's free. Right. McDonald's do it in 30 seconds or less. Lens Crafters was your your glasses in under an hour. And I remember going to get glasses with my mom one time, and they let you guess. I don't know if they, they don't do this anymore. But you could guess how long it's going to take to get your glasses. And if you guessed it right, they gave you like half off. Huh. So that's what you do with your sermon. You go, how long do you think John's going to preach? Yeah. And they all submit like... You know, and you get half off your tithe that week. You, exactly, five percent tithe. What do you call it? A pentith. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. <laughs> you know that that's a great idea, Johnny. So yeah, you ballpark this. It's like an over under on the sermon. You were here Sunday, so if you had to start it's before like I bet. started, what would you have bet my sermon was going to be? Because you were actually this is one of those rare moments the stars aligned, and you were in the, the room while I was preaching. I think it. I think you preached about thirty eight minutes. Okay. I like that you think that. It was more, wasn't it? Doesn't matter. Yeah, Doesn't matter how long. Tell, tell me what it was. It, it felt. This is like this is like the the uh, feels like temperature. Look, yeah. If it's eighty three, but it well, feels we got like eighty nine. It was eleven thirty. It was right at eleven thirty. It was eleven thirty one. So, and you took the mic at. Mm, mm. So it was closer to an hour because I, I think it was like forty seven. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> No, no. That's like you old. Did, you that's like growing up. See, that's, that's me. like growing up Pentecost no, church. No, it's not. No, it's not. Make yourself a cot in the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Does people the, are people in the South the only ones that call it a pallet? Just make yourself a pallet in the floor. That's a good question because a pallet's like usually. A pallet's a, like a wood like thing wooden, you stack. Yeah. But people who will take pillows and blankets yeah. and say, just make yourself a pallet. Yeah. Yeah, you, you used to come stay at my house that, right? growing up. You, when you would come over to the band in college, make and you a pallet. Mom would say, "You guys can make pallets." Yeah, yes. interesting. And guys, we're so glad you <laughs> <laughs> you make your pallet here. We just want to say because we sometimes we don't do this till the end of the show, yeah. and we're afraid people like skip past it. But it's important that you guys know that you can get all the archived episodes on Talk About That Podcast dot com. Yeah, they're all archived there. You can listen and binge listen. And spread it, though, by leaving a five-star review and a written review. That helps the algorithm because it helps more people see it. Mm-hmm. You can even go to talkaboutthatpodcast.com, click on our Patreon link, kick in a few shekels, help us make content. And uh, that's basically it. But I just, I'm always afraid people get to the end. They hear us kind of get to that point. Because sometimes we'll say something funny after that. Yeah. And I'm like, did they even get that, though? Because they're like, here we go with the pitch. Yeah. So we tried to trick it up. Yeah, we totally tricked you. Y'all are hitting like the plus 30 second button. <laughs> I do that with some podcasts, but um, I don't know. Well, anyway, do good. that. It, it helps, and uh, we appreciate you listening for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Check it out. Talkaboutthatpodcast.com. <laughs> and now back to our Regular. regularly scheduled program. <laughs> regularly scheduled program was the best. Like, that's the that's another thing where convenience, like if I had to go back before DVRs, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But I remember being more excited about my shows then. Like you had to run to the bathroom, yeah. pee as fast as you possibly could. Yeah, maybe you weren't even all the way done yet. Maybe not. Then you quickly zip up. You're vaulting over the couch because you were going to miss something on Dukes of Hazard. 
Yeah. And you could, there was a Waylon Jennings voiceover. Yeah. The car is in midair frozen. Yeah. And then you go, I got to pee. You run. Now you vault back in just in time to see the Duke boys land, you know, harmlessly. On the other side of a huge river. And they're totally fine. No injuries to either party. No. That's the kind of thing we'll never, this generation, you say will never experience that. No. She will not know what that's like. We literally pause it for anything that changes in the room. To the point where when she goes to the movies and then you just, like I went to the movies this past week and uh, saw A Quiet Place Part oh, 2. Have you seen that? I have not. You don't watch scary stuff though. Mm-mm. But it's not like scary like horror. It's just like suspense. You would really like it. Yeah. Really, John Krasinski wrote, directed both. Yeah. Very good. So the thing about movies, and I kind of forgot this, is I pee a lot. Evidently, I mean, I'm 46 years old and it's just the big Diet Cokes and it's too much. So you have to kind of pick your moment. If there's some expositional scene. But you never see the movie. You don't know what moment you're picking. You don't know what period. You just go, this seems like it's expositional. This seems yeah. like it's going to be a, this is character a development. throw in. Yeah, I can totally. And if some monster thing happens while I'm gone, I'll just be like, I don't know this. Okay. But you are running. and But at home, you're just used to pausing it. You, you know can't what? pause it. I'm about to revolutionize the movie watching industry Okay, with another Billion dollar idea. I think I already know what you're going to say, and it exists. No. You should be able, when you start the movie, to have a live stream on your phone. No, 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 no. This is not that. This is a thing where when every movie comes out, there's a website that tells you when to go pee. No, no, this is better. (laughs) This is better. You come in, you get a unique code because they know you're in the theater, and the GPS knows that your phone is there, so right. they know you're not doing this from outside. Oh, and so you're streaming it as you go. Yeah. You, you're literally live streaming while you're live yeah, streaming. If you want. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it live streaming. Oh, <laughs> yes. My gosh. And what it does is, yeah. is if you have to leave the theater for any reason, right. then the, the, the movie goes with you. Now, if you exit the theater premises, okay. GPS picks it out and shuts it down. So uh-huh. it literally has to be with, it has to be very, I don't know if you have to use RF signals or something within the building. Mm-hmm. I'm just making up stuff now. Yeah. But it has to be based upon a very specific. But so shouldn't you be focused on the task at hand when you're going to the bathroom? I can see people coming in like holding a phone in one hand. It's just going to be, it could, there could be a mess. There could That's be what a I'm problem. saying. Maybe it needs to be, it needs to be like 3D glasses that project yeah, like Google a Glass. hologram in uh-huh. front of you. This feels like it could be expensive. Either that or a screen, a screen that's on the wall yeah. or in the stall. We'll call it on the wall or in the stall. <laughs> Dot com. And somehow it it brings the feed. You can send the feed to your phone or to that screen so you can have a hands-free bathroom experience. <sighs> but I think the phone will be fine, even if you're just listening. To, of course, in the volume issue. I mean, you're not in there a long time. It's just... Johnny, speak for yourself. Sometimes these are like a long walk, though. You walk out, you're in theater number 28, and you're looking around, you're like, where is the... You have to yeah. walk down another... You choose... A, you take a wrong turn, you're like, dang it! You need the glasses. What needs? You need the glasses and yeah. headphones and everywhere Or at you least go. audio. If you just had like an earpiece where it could just... You could at least know, yeah. oh, this is just a... Guys, I'm calling... Listen, someone out there right now has seen the vision yeah. of what this could be, and... All I'm looking for is an investor. I'm looking for that $10,000. Well, no, they've, already, they've taken the idea. It's over. Well, no, I will sue oh. if I see this now because I have evidence on this podcast that, it, that my you came idea up came with first. It. Besides, by the time this podcast posts, I will have already uh, trademarked this intellectual And bought property. the domain name. And, yeah. Livestream.com, yeah. I'm sure, is available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think uh, oh, it could it could be something. I Here's the deal. They've made the movies... They're trying to get people to keep coming to the movies. Obviously, COVID was a whole thing. But even before COVID, 
people were going to the movies less. And there, there's less seating because they're doing the recliners. So less people are even buying tickets. So they're just finally, they're just like, the ones who are buying tickets, we're going to make sure your experience is just like your home man cave. Yeah. You're going to lay down in a bed, basically, right. and watch this movie. And now they'll come to you and bring you food in some of these theaters. They'll come take your order. Oh, that's nice. Uh, there's only a couple of those in Nashville. I don't know if that's in every city, but there are like... Is it in Lebanon at the Roxy? No, no, no. Uh, okay. It's never when I've been there. So. No, it's kind of janky. I mean, it's nice. It's just hey, they got theater. nice seats. They do have... It's they like have their, $5 Tuesdays, right? They do. They, But that's the thing. <laughs> it's like when I worked at the theater, and then they moved me to the Dollar Theater. Because mm. every town has a Dollar Theater when I was growing right. up. The Dollar Theater is like older. Yeah. Uh, it's jankier. They're, they're second run kind of movies. Yeah. But they're a dollar. And it's a different clientele. Like if you pay twelve dollars to see a movie, you're watching that movie. If you pay a dollar. These pe- if you pay a dollar to watch a movie, you're looking around trying to set seats on fire. <laughs> you're wanting to see if the plastic will melt. And that's the so that's the experience. So a five dollar movie, you say it sounds great, but it means everybody brings their screaming kids that shouldn't even be in it. Like if you're watching something that's a little like. PG-13, R-rated. Mm-hmm. Not that you should be, but if you are. And then you'll see somebody brings in like a newborn to a monster movie. And you're like, what are you doing? Well, her ticket was $5. That. That's what happened. Tony, newborns can't watch movies. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know what's going consciousness, on. the age of consent. <laughs> Johnny, I'm not sure you understand object permanence. They don't have object permanence yeah. yet. By the way, I saw an interesting thing today on emotional permanence for uh, like certain people with certain, you know, I guess, um, attention issues or other things that almost like object permanence that for them, much like if I take this out of view, you know, some per- person without object permanence doesn't know it's still there. Yeah. If, if they don't have like a lot of affirmation the next day, emotionally, mm-hmm. they sense something's wrong if it's not you know, very much affirmed on over again. So that is very, very fascinating idea. And I'm Just all about do with objects or emotionally, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I have a friend who said that that's the way his wife is that, uh, he will give her a compliment, but it's like, it's like, uh, it's like my oil in my old car. Like it goes straight through. It's just like, it's like he never said it. It's like good for the five minutes, but yeah. he always has to reassure so there's something about that, that emotion. Some people just feel like there's shifting sands and they have to be reassured all the time that things are okay or that they're attractive or that right. whatever is still good. Yeah, and interesting. Maybe that's from trauma or maybe that's just how we're wired sometimes. Well, I think some people are wired that way. Certainly, I think yeah. trauma can add. You know, I always We always talk about that nature versus nurture type yeah. thing, and, and I, I'm really a believer. In, I mean, everybody likes to be reassured. So it's not like the, the people that can just be like, I never needed any of it. Like, right. no, that, that's silly. That's how you... That's how you right. raise people who are like emotionally unavailable and abusive. And yeah. if you're like, yeah, I just never got hugged and I didn't need it. Yeah, you did. You, you just did. didn't get it. And yeah. now you're going to abuse your kid probably. We do. Well, <laughs> if, you're, if you don't, if you don't fix it, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can't continue if, the cycle of just like, we just don't do that. Like right. we, don't we don't tell each other. Affection. We don't yeah. tell each other. We love each other. Cause I didn't. It's like, that's, you're yeah. now, you're now just extending it to the next generation. You know, I will, I will have people in life who say that like their dad rarely ever said, I love you. And most of them that I encounter, they have, uh, completely corrected the other way. Like, right. they're like I'm extremely affectionate because that was that was never shown to me. Now, there's uh-huh. two ways to go there. Right. Um, most people I encounter, I don't know if that's a modern age thing. I think in, in, or postmodern where we are now, as people call that, but this idea 
I think that we are going to be counter to our previous generations. Yeah. You know, there was a day and time where there was safety in following your previous generations because you, you held them up. I think that they were losing some of that respect. Uh, right. But I think. Then we go so far the other way. It's like a pendulum swing. It can be, a, it can be right. bad because you're just like, I won't do this just as a, you out know, of spite. Just out of spite. I'm right. gonna, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like. I don't want to be like they were. You don't even see the good. You don't even see the good things. Yeah, we don't end up building upon things that we need to build upon. I do think that generationally it's good. We've talked about gender roles before. I do think that when I see, like, more guys, like I have Twitter people that I follow who are stay-at-home dads, and they're, like, really proud of it. And I think that's pretty cool. Like, that they're just like, look, my wife's a lawyer, and I stay home with the kids, and it's like, I love it. It's very fulfilling to me. I don't feel like it should be apologized for. No. Although they have to explain it constantly. It feels like you see them... I had another conversation at a park today, and they'll have to, like, go through their yeah. spiel. And it's like – but I think it's getting more common and definitely more common for guys to be in touch with their emotions, more artistic. Like I, I was talking about before, like, me pursuing a creative endeavor would have been harder two generations ago or a generation ago. You would have to show, like, a cr- incredible aptitude for it beforehand. Yeah. Like, you know – if you grow up and somebody's like, you're a great, you, I love your poems, and then you go, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter, okay. But if you just go, I'm the life of the party all the time. I make fun of my teachers. I think I'll be a comedian. Like, you got to show me how you're going to get A to B. Like, there's more questions. Right. And, I mean, I was, I was in creative writing and things. So there was, there was something there that, I, that there, I had an aptitude for writing. But, yeah, this idea of, like, making that leap is easier now, and I think that's good and that's healthy. But, yeah, like you said, there are extremes where you go, all right, are we throwing out the baby with the bathwater? There was a lot of strong – there was a lot of strength in the former generations, the way they went through. We beat the Nazis. We did all these cool things. Sometimes I feel like we throw it out and go, yeah, but my dad was so stoic. And because of that, not not knowing the trauma he was facing. So I think you got to show grace for that, too. Yeah, I love watching these old shows where they talk about they're acknowledging and a lot of the shows being made today about World War Two, yeah. World War One, and they're really addressing shell shock because it was so rampant and there's this this rampant problem is in earlier movies and earlier like we just don't we just don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. And but they do also address the shame that, that followed that. You know, some of these guys were hospitalized and never came out of that. It was, I mean, it's just severe PTSD. Um, and we didn't understand it then. So doctors didn't even know what to yeah. call it. It was considered a weakness, you know, in their mind instead yeah. of like something related. Now, I think that doctors at the time, some of them got it when they saw it, you know, so much. But I think this overly masculinized sort of way of being, I think we think of that as being very old school. Um, but I really think that that actually is a more of a, an 18th, 19th century sort of way of being. You really look – I love reading again the in the era of Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and those guys. And, and there was a lot of affection happening with children, a lot of affection happening between friends that I think when we went through Westward Expansion and Manifest Destiny and, and sort of the, the more frontier days um, – yeah there became this more rugged sort of national identity. Then you have so much immigration and urbanization in these, these slums and these um, tenement housing areas with horrible working conditions, lots of racism between 
Irish and Italian and Polish and these communities. And, and then, of course, you have the same thing on the West Coast, especially with your, your Chinese, especially, or, you know, being basically paid nothing to build the railroads. And everything became because because the nation, this melting pot, mm-hmm. it seems like there became a harshness that almost like we had to have this rugged, you think of the wagon trains and you think of, you know, all those things. And I think that that sort of permeated all the way into, you know, Cathedral Roosevelt time, uh, one of the most populist presidents after Andrew Jackson, really. And Roosevelt, then he's he's really elevated in the minds of the masses because he was actually a very sickly little boy. And somewhere along the line, he made the turn and this became like idealistic now somewhere he became the rough rider the original rough rider I mean, right it's leads. like the original marketing campaign yeah that was done with his image he wasn't even if i remember correctly a trained soldier at the time hmm. like he, he he was sort of like a militiaman and sort of gathered these people on on horseback and crossed the mexican border and really started a war <laughs> um you know, saying that they were attacked, but they were actually across the river where they should be on the border. And, like, it it was this, you know, idyllic sort of man that he's the tough guy. And then, of course, all of the, the safaris and the hunting and, the and, the, and you know, he, he, even to the point that, again, we t- told the story, he gets shot giving a speech. It, it goes through his speech and hits him, and, and he ends up talking another hour yeah, while he's bleeding he kept giving the speech know. that's a preacher right there man it just kept going yeah guys if you shoot me while i'm preaching it's, it's a good chance yeah. yeah i don't care if it's at 47 minutes or not we're done <laughs> um, as i continue to close <laughs> you know, this and, wound on my chest sorry and, <laughs> and andrew jackson had a very similar type again i'm thinking about the the, the ones that get old hickory yeah you know. Andrew Jackson, some guy comes up to assassinate him on the steps of I can't figure it was the Capitol or somewhere. And I couldn't. I don't think it was a Capitol. I think it was yet. at a Chili's. Is it weird, <laughs> weird place? But that's where, that's where I heard it was. And the guy's gun malfunctions and, and locks up. And Jackson takes his cane. He's like seventy something and just beats the crap out of the guy. Get it? Yeah. I mean, like, so you just have like this. This was the cane made of old hickory because mm. that's full circle. Man, I tell you, it probably was. I don't know. You know, that's weird. It's true. It's like there. What there is a cool t- like when you do when you see those old posters. Like there is a toughness to that generation. You think about the greatest generation and people bringing in their scrap metal to support the war effort. We're going to beat the Nazis. Like there was something to do. Like when you have hardship, you have this common goal. Like it's incredible what you can do. And so I do think that there is some of that that's lost. John Christ has a bit about like if there was a war today that like we'd be like ready to take the battle. If we were like, is that ragweed out there? I can't. Can we wait till spring? Like there's all these things he says about like the, what the modern soldier would be. Yeah. And it's really funny, but it's like kind of pointed too. Cause it's kind of, you know, He's saying I'm one of those people. You know, right. I go get many petties and I moisturize and I'm, you know, I'm the problem. You know, well, certainly our soldiers today. I mean, I don't know if you watch SEAL Team, it's a great show, but we know several soldiers as well. I mean, gosh, there, there's a grit. Yeah, there's a toughness there. But you're right. Like if we all had to be called into action for a real, you know, right. global cause or enemy, yeah, it'd be. Yeah, you and I going up, you know, with those guys. I mean, Johnny, I guess that's the thing. The generation did what they had to do. I, I just we just not been asked to do a lot I just, <laughs> and we have not done it we have been equal to the task <laughs> i just wonder you know again i just it's the john wayne type yeah. hey that's a real man 
and you go, man, you know, and the promise keepers in the eighties and nineties did a lot to try to at first actually, no, I'm not endorsing this book. I'm just asking if, if you've read it, have you read Jesus and John Wayne? No, it's I a, haven't. It's a book. I think up. you told me not to read it. To- <laughs> you said, <laughs> you said, I, I, Read this other one first. Don't read this. Yet, I, 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 was, I think you're afraid it's going to like push me over the edge or something. I was asked to read this by an editor at a at a publisher. Yeah. And we were talking yesterday and I told her, I was like, so I've read it and I don't tell everybody I've read it, but you asked me to. She goes, you didn't tell them that I asked you to, did you? I said, I just it's say. Really, it's a very incendiary book. I said, I just say like, you're an editor. Yeah. I don't say your name. So I'm protecting yeah. the identity of the editor at this point. But, um. It is like a it is it's a takedown. I mean, it's a seventy five year history of the evangelical church, and, and it really John Wayne's a major player in it, though he wasn't even a professing evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but how somehow again like a caricature of a modern man, he, he became this myth and this right yeah, template. It, but it became like a Christian ideal, yeah, as opposed to just you know the guy Jesus that, being a Christian ideal, right? So that there's like this mixing, and then I I remember even and you remember this probably growing eighties and nineties like this. This movement as if the world throughout the last 1980 years had really, I'm going to use the term that we often heard, wussified Jesus, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. And we need to, we need to remasculinize him. Right. Um, and, you know, the whole thing, he's a carpenter, he's not a wimp, you know, he's going to have right. muscles, he's going to be, you know, the most ripped guy in the room, you know, those kinds of things. And I do believe Jesus, I mean, I just think, I'm not sure that defines manhood. That's the whole point. It's not whether he was or whether he was not. It's that why, I mean, it, why does it, that there's define? There's only a few scriptures about how he looked, and it basically said he was ordinary. Yeah, that it, man of no reputation. He you wouldn't you wouldn't know him right in a crowd. I think the old King James said there was nothing, there was no comeliness about him, so that we might desire. Like yeah. meaning, like there's nothing about him. He would be a normal looking dude. I mean, and his name in Hebrew was just Josh. Yeah, I mean Jesus is just a Greek version of Joshua. And Joshua is an extremely common name. Mm-hmm. And so literally when Jesus came, he but was But that's just, kind of the point. That's right. the That's the beauty of it all. He was a normal guy named Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and who was the son of God. So yeah. that normal guys named John and Johnny, you know, could experience that. So because he experienced our life, we can experience his. So, I mean, there's, there's the gospel in a nutshell. But the idea of whether or not he had big muscles or not, right. I don't know. That became that became a valid talking point in a lot of sermons you and I sat in. Now I understand that some of that was a reaction to, like, Enlightenment era and even probably Middle Age era paintings of a very feminized looking white person in a long flowing robe that looks like a dress, yeah, as opposed to something probably. So I understand he was certainly portrayed as much less rugged mm-hmm. than probably anybody in the first century looked mm-hmm. at that time. And certainly he was not white. And certainly, you know, he would have been a car. So I'm saying he's more rugged is fine. Saying he's like jacked and can rip this phone book in half might be a right. little bit like, I'm not sure what the you know purpose of that would be. Well, it'd be harder. It's tablets back then, not even books. Oh, my it's goodness. Like, you ever tried breaking papyrus? Don't even. It's, Moses broke tablets in half. It, let me tell you. That, that dude was jacked. <laughs> he was the original power team. <laughs> He would give a long testimony first, though. You're like, when's he going to break these tablets? This has been forever. You're afraid to go to the bathroom. You're like, if I go to the bathroom, he tears, this, he tears these tablets in half. I go to the bathroom. Oh, I'd be so mad. Oh, my goodness. 
I'll be grinding up the golden calf when I get back. We'll have to drink it. I'll get to see the tablets. That was the original Kool-Aid. Is it? A lot of people don't realize that. I tell you, those Moses really Moses invented the power team. They invented Kool-Aid. A couple chapters eight. later. Yeah, a, power eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, that book heads, and I was thinking of that book because it heads into the history sort of Promise Keepers, and Promise Keepers kind of started with that, um, a very, you know, We've got to do something. Men, We're we gotta, slipping yeah. into feminization. What this, what this country yeah. needs is men being right. men. So whatever yeah. that, you know. And and I'm all about, like, I mean, I am a man, and I want to lead. Hold so, the phone. I know. But they moved. There was this There was this sort of shift because they kind of saw that that gets just into a lot of grunting and yeah. not a lot of theology. A lot of cheerleading right. speakers, too. Right. And so they saw that, and there was actually a shift in that organization to, like, hey, being a real man and being strong is being sensitive and listening to your wife and your kids. Yeah. Like, they began moving into those circles, sort of a... Um, a moment to say, you know, hey, toughness, courage, mm-hmm. <laughs> courage is not just yelling at everyone and, and, and dominating courage is in leading like Christ led, yeah. you know, uh, again, the book, gentle and lowly, so amazing. The premise is super simple. Only one time in scripture does Jesus talk about his own heart. And that is come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly and in me or gentle and humble and you will find in me you will find rest for your souls like it's a true like this is who i am and it goes into the old testament where the, the major scriptures where god says i am the lord gracious and merciful slow to anger abounding in love like that that it's almost he calls it it's a strange act for god and he he has to do it out of his justice but the part of god that that you know brings uh, punishment in those parts, which is necessary for the injustice of the world that sin has brought, is still something he's conflicted about. He he does that out of the justice, but that mercy is he's not conflicted about. That's more his natural. The strange act is is those punitive things, while the natural part of him it says, "I abound in this. This is natural for my heart." Super I, super amazing idea. It actually goes back to a lot of the Puritan traditions, but. That idea that what should be natural for a strong man mm-hmm. in a home or in a marriage right. should be to show mercy. That yeah. should be the most natural thing. And the strength should be something you're almost conflicted about right. in when you have to use it. And you do. You know, but, yeah. So. Well, and just to be humble is like so jarring in today's culture yeah. to see a guy who's humble. Like I've got to be – I've got to do things with cool people. I've got to do things with like bigger names. And then I've worked with guys who – uh, we're either on the way up or on the way down yeah. in entertainment. And they do what's called name dropping. They tend to have to give you their credits. If you have lunch with them, you're yeah. going to hear exactly, oh, you know, this big comedian, they used to open for me. And they'll have to, it's almost yeah. like a general having to tell you he's a general. Yeah. Then he's probably not a general. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, let let me... It's like you're trying to like control the narrative, and that shows like a lack of control. Yeah. And so, to me, that's like the opposite of what manliness is, or the opposite of what you know, like control and confidence is. And that's what you think of when you think of like a strong man. So yeah, when you see somebody who's humble, and like I see it every, I mean, I see it all the time in green rooms where you're like somebody just kind of wanders in. That we do these shows now called New New Material Mondays, or there's one called uh, Nashville All Stars. I did that Tuesday at Zany's. These guys come in, it's these comedians from all walks of life, black, white, straight, gay, every, all of it. And then 
you don't know who's who. And some of them are guests of the comics, and they'll just be, like, sheepishly, like, going over their notes or whatever. They barely say boo. They're very kind, but whatever. Then they go on stage, and it's like a wild animal. It's like they're on, and they're incredible, and they blow the doors off. And then they just kind of get off and do their thing. Like, to me, somebody that comes in, and they're always on, and they yeah. want to let you know how great they are, like, it's immediately like, I want to get out of the green room. Yeah. I can't deal. Like, show me. Show me what you're doing. Show me on stage. And, or show me in your life. Yeah. Uh, but don't, like, I just think we grew up with that thing of, like, if I don't glorify myself, who's going to do it? Yeah. Like, and it's seeped <laughs> into social media. It's seeped in everywhere yeah. where it's like, we're afraid nobody will toot our horn if we don't do it. Yeah. It's hard because... There are times I have to force myself some to advocate for myself in the writing world occasionally, mm-hmm. like whether it's with the, you know, a deadline or a point of a contract or yeah. I have to be willing to say, I now, think it's okay to share your yeah, work and, it's and hard. say, yeah, it's hard for me. I, I have to, it's so funny. I was talking to, you know, some Enneagram, Enneagram coach of the day. I was like, look, I'm going to tell you some things about what I think that I, I am good at, but I don't want it to come off as boastful or this and that. And she said, Okay, you understand as an Enneagram Six, it's almost impossible for you to brag. Like you would rather crawl under that table than than be boastful. Yeah. Like you can do it, but it's not natural to you. She's like, so you don't even have to say this, which is fascinating to me when people understand how you're made that mm-hmm. like it's it's disingenuous to you and unsafe to the systems of your life <laughs> for you to take credit for everything because you're constantly um, because of the inner committee, you're constantly in tension right. over all the things that are happening, so you don't take credit very well. I was like, well, that's great. I don't have to. I don't have to disclaim that with you every time. You know, if I say something about, oh, I think I can do this, or I think I was made to do this. But you're right. I think that there's this. We used to always say, if someone walks up to us when we were in a band, they go, uh, "Oh yeah, I, I, I play guitar too," and we would always go, "Oh yeah." I, I mean, how, how long have you been playing? You know, and if they go, "Yeah, oh well, I, I can play a little." They were usually incredible. If you hand them a guitar, yeah. like they'd rip it and they'd be better than all of us. If someone goes, you know, I've been playing, I've been playing six months, but you know, I'm really good for. I mean, they say I'm very advanced. You're like, oh man, we're not going to get a G chord, you know. Yeah. Out of it's okay, but it was almost like it was disproportionate because the person who knew yeah. what they could do also knew they didn't have to sell that. Right. Well, know? even our experience with like local bands that we would play shows with versus the times we got to open for a band like Switchfoot. Where like Switchfoot was like did their sound check, then we did our sound check, or no, we did our sound check first, and then they were just like, I think they did theirs first because then John Former walks on stage and he goes, "Just kick our stuff out of the way if you need to." Yeah, I go what? <laughs> yeah, like I thought he was going to be like, "Don't touch anything." Yeah, you're the opening band, and you just got added because there was a mistake in the way the thing was printed. Which is true. You shouldn't even be here. <laughs> But we told some people the show was at eight, and some people the show was at seven. So, so we we're have to have an you opening on at seven for right. all, no one, all the people that are coming at eight. For like half the people it, that yeah. don't know. So whatever you do, do not touch my amp, or I will murder you right here on stage. Yeah. Instead, he was like, "Just kick our stuff out of the way." I mean, they had like the number one record. It was just like that humility was yeah. jarring. Yeah. Um, it was unbelievable. And then, by the way, we did our funny song, Toyota Van, to close. Oh, and he was in the audience. He came out and watched it. And then he mentioned, he goes, I really love, sorry about your van. Like, <laughs> it was just like so kind. And yeah. I never forgot it. No. Uh, you know, because he, he had every right to be rock star-ish and just be that guy. And it wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah. It surprised me that he wasn't that. No, and it and it it also helps me know why his music 
in That's why it resonates. It's indoors. real. It's coming from an authentic place. Yeah. And then yeah. he continues, you know, I will say this through this last year and a half and, um, you know, there's been a lot of deconstruction and a lot of research and reading specifically around racism and nationalism and a lot of other things that I feel are not at the doors of the church, but through the doors now mm-hmm. and that we are having, we need to do a better job as disciples of, of addressing. And so during the pandemic, I've told you my office was on my back deck, which I it's covered, but it's open. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, I had these two patio heaters and a fire table. I literally bought a uh, uh, feet, a heater thing for my feet to stick my feet in. A feeder, we call a it. A feeder. And it's so, like I spent a long time writing. I had deadlines, other things, and reading. I mean, I have stacks of books and other things, learning. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it's painful mm-hmm. and also the right thing. And I will say this, Switchfoot brought me – so much um comfort's not the right word you and i should talk about this with switchfoot and and guys if you're not familiar with switchfoot i'm just gonna be really bold and say you may not like rock music or all those things but this dude john former we're talking about writes on a whole other level and not a sponsor no either. not but his i'm telling you god used their music as a super comforting thing for me because I realized there were records of theirs that I had not really gotten into. I did, we did early records and then you just kind of move on. And I've gone back to those records, you know, like, Oh, gravity. Uh, I've gone back to that one. It was probably, it was probably my least favorite record at the time that it was released, you know, mm-hmm. and it's probably my favorite one. Now it's almost like he was 10 years or whatever ahead of where I was. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing now what he, what he was saying. And there was just such a, and there's several songs, you know, you have I forget the names of the songs, but you haven't lost me yet. That's that's one. Um, just these ideas that um, that it's okay. Like there's tension and it's okay. He's writing about racism. He's writing about materialism. He's writing about so many things that are affecting us today. So I just you know not a sponsor. But I'm gonna tell you something, man. That, that's that's one that's endured, and that reminds me again the humility that he had with us in person. Um, yeah, that takes you a long way. You, we talked to people before, like. Hey, how do I become big? Yeah. How do I become a, um, I want to, I feel like God's called me to be the most amazing speaker ever. And right. we're like, hey. You're already off the road. Yeah, foot. man, yeah. You, you need to <laughs> you go find a small group of kids and yeah. walk through life with them. You know, go find a small group of people and start living life and work really hard. You know, start writing something that no one's ever going to read. Start writing a joke that no one's ever going to hear, maybe. Yeah. Like, you, you got to do it. And yeah, there's a thing about where I've started booking shows again, thank God, and it's picking up. And there's a moment where I did a thing a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, it wasn't that I got paid and it wasn't that I got laughs. It was that I felt useful again. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what I've missed, yeah. you know. I've, there's a there's an assurance that comes from having a job and knowing that you get to keep doing this for a living and blah blah blah. I'm not going to go have to whatever right. sell all my stuff. But the thing that I've missed the most was feeling like I provided uh, something of use to people who needed it. Like that is that's what stirs you. And so yeah, I mean it's that's the that's the thing. Mm. That's the real thing. So, um, and yeah, that's, uh, I think that's what we're all looking for. Didn't you tell me a quote yesterday or something about 
usefulness versus... Oh, I, I think Ben Franklin said that. Uh, don't strive to be a person of greatness. Strive to be a person of... Uh, strive to be a, a person of value. value yeah. yeah. Which means you're useful to others and right. to yeah, the, the common good. That's good. Hey, guys, we hope this podcast has been useful for you. Segway. Am I right? It's not a sponsor. And now that we've already told you all the things to do, we can just tell you to make sure you check out talkaboutthatpodcast.com. Yeah, do that, yeah. and uh, we'll... Uh, We'll appreciate it. Yeah, we absolutely will. We'll read some reviews on the air if you leave some reviews. We, we love reading those. We're reading a lot of those even right now. Even the hate-filled ones. Yes, we'll even the it. ones that call take Johnny some, Take some shots. Names. Hey, listen, I probably need it. Take yeah. me down a peg. That's right. That's iron sharpening That's iron. That's that humility that we've talked about, and I need it. Oh, my goodness. He welcomes it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we welcome you to join us next week on Talk About That. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.